morning, Cross Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing well? It is great to see you here this morning. I was just thinking as we were sitting down there just worshiping this morning, how good it feels just to come together in a spirit of unity, in a spirit of love, uh, as, a, as a family that God has brought together for a purpose of just worshiping him. Doesn't it feel good to just bring glory to God this morning? I tell you, I love gathering together. I was I was telling someone in the first service, it just, it feels so good. I just, sometimes I just wish we could do this, this every morning of the week, you know, and I was thinking it wouldn't be the same without you being here, but, but I, I tell you, it'd be nice just to gather in this place, and uh, I, I was talking to Linnell the other day about just gathering, and, and she was just mentioning to me about Flourish and, and what that means for her. Flourish is our women's gathering. It actually happens once a month, and and, uh, and I think on Tuesday, Tuesday night is our next Flourish gathering. And she was talking about how she just loves when women come together and they just worship God together and they, they offer testimony to one another. And it's just a really good time for her. If you haven't been a part of that, I want to encourage you to maybe check that out. It's a really great time for the ladies in our church to come together and just worship in spirit and truth. And so, but I, I just love gathering. I was talking to Ross uh, earlier before the service as well. And just talking about the spirit of worship that he sees in our student ministry and, and just coming together uh, week after week on Sunday nights and, and just worshiping together. Uh, and, and we worship in so many different ways. We worship in so many different ways. And, and, and so uh, we were just talking about that. If, if you're not plugged into a student ministry, would love for you to get plugged into a student ministry, our youth, our, our, our college, whatever. Uh, and, and I know Ross and his team have a have a table sitting right out these doors right here. They have calendars and all kind of information that you can get to just describe to you and, and share with you uh, what's going on in student ministry. But just, it, it's wonderful when we as the people of God are able to come together and God gives us a remarkable and unique opportunity just to come together and worship. And so this morning we're actually gonna be talking about this. Last week we, we kicked off a series called Living the Life or Living a Life of Resolve. We talked a little bit about what resolve was, and, and we started out the first message talking about the purpose of redemption. And you know, for all of us in this room, those of us who are believers or followers of Christ Jesus, we know that we have been redeemed, and that word in and of itself is very important to us, but more than that, just what redemption means to us, that is, we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, and it is by his blood, by his power, that we, our sins are forgiven and we are saved uh, and, and, and because of that, because of the work of the cross, because of what Jesus has done for us, we have an opportunity to spend an eternity in the presence of God. And so this thing, redemption, is a, is a big deal for us as believers, as followers. We, we understand it. We know it. We want to embrace it and just be thankful for it. And so last week, we talked a lot about that. I love some of the, the, the passages of Scripture that we talked about last week. We were in Colossians, and, uh, and in that passage, we were looking at... Uh, where God's word challenges us to, uh, to let or to allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. And I, and I love that because so often, as believers or followers of Christ, we, we allow so much else to just sort of infiltrate our hearts, don't we? If we're not careful, our attention can real quickly just sort of stray away from God or stray away from Christ, and we allow other stuff in. We allow the junk and, and the worldliness into our hearts. And so, the word challenges us to, to just let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And, and it goes on to say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I love that because it challenges us to not only be, 
uh, students of the word of God, not only to be believers in the authority of the word of God, not only to, to you know, gather together in small groups and, and, and uh, study and read the word of God, but to be those people of God who, who long for the word of God to dwell richly in our hearts. And so my prayer for you, our staff, we pray for you, and we just ask God to, to, to just be uh, moving in this place in such a way that we would experience the presence of God, but that we would allow also the word of God to just richly bless us, to richly dwell within us. And so that's kind of where we started last week in this series. Uh, it was really good for me. It was really good for a lot of folks that I talked to, just, just thinking through those those issues, and so I look forward to the message this morning. This morning, we're going to be looking at the purpose of the church, and so last week, looking at the purpose of redemption, we're talking about the purpose of the church today, and this isn't a message on the nuts and bolts of the practical things that churches do. That's pretty obvious to most of us in this room, but it's talking about uh, really why it is that Christ redeemed us to begin with. As children of God who have been saved by the presence and the blood of Christ, what is it that God created us to do? And we know if we study this, uh, this in the scriptures that, that the word of God teaches us that we are called as children of God or followers of Christ Jesus to bring glory to God, to lift up high the, the name of Jesus, to, to worship him for who he is because he is worthy of our worship. He's not just someone we worship. He's not just a, an object of our affection but he's someone who actually is worthy of our worship. And so we were created to bring glory to God. In fact, the scriptures tell us that whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. We, we were created uh, for this purpose. Our existence and our identity in Christ Jesus as followers of Christ is for this purpose, to, to bring glory to God. And so today we're going to be looking at this purpose and we're talking about not just Cross Point Church, but the but the church as a whole, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the universal church, if you will, believers all over the world, this message that we're going to be looking at, this passage of scripture we're going to be diving into today is, is, is one that, that for all of us as believers all over the world should understand. And so we're going to be diving into this text. We're going to look at John chapter 4, starting with verse 23. So I want to invite you to, to just go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn there if you're Looking at God's Word on an electronic device, feel free to go ahead and just power that thing up and go to God's Word. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 4, and we're reading, typically I read from the ESV version, but, uh, but any will work for you. We'll have it on the screen as well. But in John 4, we see one of the most amazing and probably one of the most familiar stories of God's grace in Scripture. We see this amazing story where the entire chapter, or nearly the entire chapter, is devoted to telling the story of Jesus' encounter with a woman of Samaria. And so if you've heard the story, immediately you, you, you understand uh, probably a lot of what we're going to be looking at today, although we're going to be just taking a small portion of that story and just diving into it, talking about this purpose of the church or the purpose uh, that we have as as believers and followers of Christ Jesus. But for her, for this lady in the story, for this Samaritan woman, uh, her story is a story of redemption. And so we covered that last week. We're not going to really be looking at that part of the story. But for her personally, it was a time in her life where she 
experienced really a spiritual awakening. She experienced in her life a, an understanding, a deep understanding of who Jesus was. And, and we see in the story how she responded to that. We're going to be looking at that as well, how she responded to the truth that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Savior, that Jesus was uh, her Savior. And so uh, we, we see the story unfold. But for us, we look at this, and no doubt it's a story that we can learn a lot about, about redemption as well. But we also begin to see here in this passage that we're going to look at, we see the value of, of the truths concerning our spiritual worship or our worship to God. Remember, I just said we're created to bring glory to him. We are to live out our life as spiritual worshipers of God. And so this is the purpose behind why God created us to begin with, that we would, that we would worship him. This is something that we're going to enjoy and participate in in eternity where we stand before a holy and righteous God and we sing with all of our heart, holy, 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 because he is so worthy of that, amen? And so we, yes, amen, we, we recognize that about our Savior. We know that about the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this about our God. And so here we're gonna see this story where Jesus takes an opportunity to really teach a young lady, a woman, who has a past, by the way. This woman has not been living this righteous life. She has a past. But he's gonna take this moment, this opportunity, to teach her about worship. And so I really love this. I, I, I love the fact that, that we see this story or, or this truth concerning worship sort of woven into this story. And this story begins, I know it's familiar for a lot of us, but I wanna just sort of recap here this morning. The story begins with Jesus walking into a town there in Sakar, it's a little town in Samaria, and Jesus walks into this town, and as he walks into this town, he is a bit weary, they've been walking, they've been on this journey, and he sits down by the community well, and his disciples go into town, and it's in town that they're doing their thing, getting some food to bring back to Jesus, and while Jesus is sitting there, a Samaritan woman comes up, and he begins this remarkable conversation with her. Now, the conversation, it's funny how it kind of starts off because it starts off, and she's not very respectful of Jesus. I mean, she could really care less about Jews. There was a great divide between Samaritans and Jews, and so she didn't have a lot of respect for him. She recognized him as a Jew right away. And so as Jesus begins to speak to her, she even sort of insults him with, by just calling him, him a Jew. Why is it that you, a Jew, would talk to me, and so that you can see this sort of level of disrespect, but, but as the conversation carries on, it's interesting how Jesus begins to, as he shares his wisdom, show her a little bit more of who he is, and, and at some point in the story, she says, well, I perceive you to be somewhat of a teacher, so now he's elevated, you see, he's, he's taught her a little more, and she, she begins to realize there's some wisdom here, he's speaking with authority, and as he does all this, she says, she sort of shows him a little respect by calling him a teacher, a rabbi, and then ultimately she says, you know what, you, you seem to resemble a prophet, so now you see, he's, he's sort of earning more respect as he shares the truth to this lady, but here's what happens, she brings up the issue of worship, and we begin to see something really remarkable take place. Let's read this here together. This morning, 
As you've turned there to John chapter 4, we're looking at this passage here together, verse 23. I want to invite you, if you will, to stand with me for the reading of, the, of God's Word. We stand here at Cross Point Church in honor of God, and we recognize that worship is not just solely about music or lifting our voices. It happens through prayer. It happens in our giving and it happens through the reading of God's word. This is God's word that has been given to us. It is his authority. It is the truth on which we stand. And so today we honor God by standing together in unity and believing and trusting that the word of God is what it is. It's the word of God. So let's read this together. Short passage here this morning, starting with verse 23. And so Jesus is speaking to the lady here, and he says, this word, he says these words. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things and Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, we do welcome you into this place. We welcome you into our hearts. And God, we know that, God, where we are gathered together here today in your name, you too are gathered with us. And so, Father, we are thankful for your presence. We are thankful, God, that you are moving in such a way that lives are being transformed and God, we thank you for your word, which cuts like a two-edged sword, but also encourages us and edifies us. And, 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 and Lord, we find your word to be one in which we could celebrate the truths uh, that are so rich and powerful to us. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that as we dive into your word together, as we look at this passage and as we, as we dig deeper, God, I pray that you would help us to set aside the distractions in our life and that you would open up our hearts, God, like only you can. And God, speak deeply into our hearts. Speak, speak into our souls, God. Change our lives, Lord, that we may understand that following you and walking with you and worshiping you as true worshipers, God, is better. Lord, I pray that we would make much of you, Lord, as we continue to worship through the reading of your word. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated uh, this morning. You know, I was, I was looking at this passage, and I was just thinking about all that Jesus is saying here, all that he is teaching us, and just being really encouraged by this, and, but I started thinking about what it is that Jesus is teaching, and that is the, the issue of worship. The topic that Jesus has sort of centered in on is this, this issue of worship. And so Jesus has begun this, this lesson, and as I thought about it, I began to remember the first time that I really felt like I understood or became aware of people worshiping God. You see, I was 18 years old, and I was not a believer I was not someone who was a follower of Christ Jesus. My parents were not believers. I grew up in a household where we might occasionally go to church, maybe because someone invited us or, or maybe because there was something within us that said we're supposed to go to church or whatever. But we would go to church from time to time, but it wasn't very regular. And, and the, 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 the fact of the matter is, by the time I was 18 years old, I was, 
I was chasing the world. I was a man who was, who was about to go off to college, and, and I was excited about what I might could explore and, and be a part of uh, in, in the college scene, and I was, I was just real excited about life in general, but Jesus was not on my mind. And one day, a really good friend of mine, he sort of tricked me into going to college. He, he told me that there was this young lady he wanted me to meet. He was going to sort of hook me up with her. And so there was this sort of a, a promise of a date that was being made. And so uh, I, I really, uh, I, I, later I, I rebuked him for this, you know. Uh, he's actually a pastor today, and he has confessed of this, this wrongdoing in his life. But he, he tricked me into going to church. And, and so there I was at 18 years old, and I had, I had come to church, and and, and I, I really believe it was the first time that I was really taking notice of what was going on. I really didn't understand. I stood there and I looked at the people and, and everybody was gathering and everybody seemed to know each other and, and I knew my friend, but that was it. And I just really felt out of place. It suddenly just seemed like a, a place that I, I wasn't really sure that I belonged there. I knew I had come for a reason other than what these people had gathered for. And so as we were there, the service started off much like we do here where the, the congregation stood, and we started singing through the songs, and, and back then, it was a very traditional church, and, and we were singing out of hymnals, and you know, uh, I was just trying to keep up by finding where the, the church was going, and before I could even get to that song, they were already switching to another song, because I didn't realize they weren't singing all the stanzas, right? They were singing the first and the fourth, and they went to another one, and, and I was really confused. I was a man who was just, you know, as a young man, I was, I was intent on trying to figure out what was happening, and, and, and really experience whatever it was that I was supposed to experience, but it just wasn't happening for me. But as I sat there and I was watching everybody else, I, I eventually just closed the hymnal and put it back and just uh, became an observer. I was watching and I began to realize that the people who were singing were singing to someone in whom they believed in. I began to realize that there was genuineness there and there was authenticity that was there. And these people truly believed in, in, in what it was that they were doing. They were, they were singing these songs of adoration and praise and celebration of Jesus. And as they did that, it was, it was sort of inspiring, I guess, but it was something that I wasn't doing. I was just merely watching. And I remember as they would bow their heads and they would go into a time of prayer, I would sit there and just being transparent. I was looking around. You know, I was checking things out and, and I was just kind of taking it all in. And, and, and I don't know if I was the only one with my eyes open, but that's what I was doing. And everybody else just seemed to be bowed and in and, and reverence toward God. And they were and it just became obvious to me that these people, they believed in, in who they were praying to. And it was just really a beautiful thing. When I, when I saw them break out their checkbooks and start you know, writing their, their, a check for, for an offering or something, it just seemed so genuine. It didn't seem forced. It didn't seem as though they just you know, were being coerced into doing this. They wanted to do this for the glory of God. And so as I looked around, I began to realize, and I, I probably wouldn't have identified this as worship because I knew nothing about worship. But I realized that they knew something about Jesus that I didn't. They were talking an awful lot about him, right? They were talking a lot about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God and all these things. And it became very obvious to me that they believed with all their heart, and with all their soul, and with all their mind who Jesus was. I really believe that's the first time I ever really had an awareness of what worship might look like. These people were sold out. 
And it really was a beautiful thing as I look back and just think about that moment. And so this morning, as we dive into this text, one of the sort of questions that, that I was wrestling with as I was studying for this passage was, was this question, so what is worship? I mean, we, we, we talk about it from time to time that it's not just the music, but, but really, what is worship? How do we worship? What, what is it about worship that's so special? And as I started processing this, I came across this, this, uh, this definition of worship that I really love by a guy named William Temple. And William Temple wrote a lot on worship. Uh, he, he was an author and a pastor in the, in the 1940s, and, and he wrote a lot on worship. But I love this definition, and I want to offer this to you today because I think it's so powerful, and I really believe it sort of captivates what Jesus is wanting to communicate as he teaches the lady at the well on the issue of worship. So read this with me, if you will. So William Temple, he describes worship like this. He says, he says worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. I love that. So right away, he's talking about surrender, isn't he? He's talking about submitting to a higher being. He's talking about surrendering to one who is holy and worthy and powerful and mighty. It's not who we are, it's who God is. And so he, he starts off and he says, worship is the submission of all of our nature. Everything that we are, uh, are about, everything that we are, we're submitting that to God. And so this is where he begins. But then he goes on and he says this. He says, it is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth. Worship is the purifying of imagination by his beauty. It is the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration. What a beautiful, remarkable way to describe worship. You see how it's so holistic to us. It, it, it really encompasses everything that we are as a follower of Christ Jesus. It's not a Sunday morning event. It's not a, a Sunday service. It's not a, a time of music. It's, it's not just a time of preaching. It sort of encompasses everything that we are as human beings but especially as human beings who have been redeemed by the power and the blood of Christ Jesus, we have been transformed. This isn't who we used to be. This is who we are now as true worshipers. I can tell you that the man that William is describing here in this passage is not the guy I was at 18, right? It's not the same guy, but through the power and the blood of Christ Jesus, by God's grace, I have been saved and I've entered into this relationship with Jesus Christ that is so remarkable that as I read that, that description, if you will, of worship, I begin to realize that, man, that is all-encompassing. That is powerfully descriptive of what worship truly is. And the reality is, I believe, in our world today is that so many believers or followers of Christ just don't see worship that way. We live our life every day, going from moment to moment, hour to hour, day to day, week by week, 
year after year after year. And so often, as followers of Christ, as children of God, we put our worship on when we walk in the church. And for whatever reason, we think that's all it is to it. I think that's what Jesus was addressing. You see this, this lady, she, she, uh, she, she, she kind of messed up a little bit here. They're having this conversation about Jesus. Everything's going well. And then suddenly, she brings up the topic of worship. And then as Jesus begins to talk, it's probably one of those moments where it's kind of like a, a rut-row. You know, it's like you realize, some of y'all don't, you, you don't get rut-row, do you? I just realized that. Some of you young people probably never been uh, exposed to Scooby-Doo, have you? If you haven't been exposed to Scooby-Doo, you need to look up Scooby-Doo, okay? Scooby-Doo is the man, right? But, uh, but Scooby-Doo is one of these guys, he's a dog, okay? And so we talked about last week cat and dog theology, so it fits that he's good, right? So anyway, Scooby-Doo was this guy who when something went down that wasn't right, he'd say, ruh-roh, Right? He, he, I mean, that was awesome. I loved it. So anyway, this woman, as she is talking to Jesus, she's having this conversation with Jesus. She, she brings up this issue of worship, and she, she sort of throws out what she knows, and she's talking about a place where you go to worship. And, and Jesus real quickly says, you know what? Worship isn't about a place. It's not even really about a, a time or a, 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 a time in the day. It's about so much more. And he enters into this lesson on worship. And, and so she gets a little more than she bargains for as he continues to look at this. And so I want us to dive into this passage this morning and look at this because I think it's so just powerful what Jesus teaches us about worship. So look at this with me. So here's how Jesus starts off. In verse 23, he says this. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here. I love the fact that Jesus says a time is coming where, where worship will be uh, powerful. It'll be good. There, there was a time where, uh, where the hour is coming, a time where worship, and, and there's no doubt that in my mind as we think about time as it relates to our worship, I, I really believe that what Jesus is pointing to is this reality that there is a, there is a time that awaits us in, in the eternity, a time where we spend in the presence of God, where as we stand before God, our worship will be more glorious and beautiful and, and just amazing than we could ever imagine, more so than anything that we have ever experienced on this earth. And so he is, he is referencing a time. He says there will be an hour, there will be a moment in your life where that will come and worship will be there. But then he says this, he says, however, it is also now. It is also now. And so he's bringing about this, this very important thing to us that we should understand that, that worship isn't, and don't miss this, it, it, worship is, is really more of a, of a state of mind that exists because of our identity in Christ Jesus rather than a moment in our week where we go and gather for worship. It's something that is happening every moment of our life or should be happening every moment of our life as believers and followers of Christ. So this is what he brings to us. And then he says this. He says, the hour is coming, and, and in fact, it's here now. And he says, when true worshipers, 
will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus says true worshipers. You see that term, you see this this description of true worshipers and the only thing we can sort of take away from that is the reality that if there's true worshipers, then there also must be false worship or false worshipers, right? And so Jesus says true worshipers, the ones that are engaged in a time of worship where they are living their life day by day and moment by moment as a worshiper of God, as they live this out in their life, as they carry this out, true worshipers, how will they worship? They will worship in spirit and in truth. And so what we see here as we look at this is that Jesus begins to offer to us two very distinct postures concerning worship. He says spirit and truth. But what does that mean? You know, one of the things that we we know as we look at this is that by spirit, if we are worshiping with our spirit, in other words, we're, we're offering our inner being to the presence of God. We are, we are bringing forth adoration and we are glorifying a holy God because of everything that is within us. We are offering ourselves. Jesus once said this to his disciples. He says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. That's a, that's a command to, to sacrifice, to give our life to Christ Jesus on a daily basis. And so here we see the gospel of John describing for us where Jesus is is telling this story to this young lady. And he says, true worshipers, true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And so what we see here is that Jesus, as he reveals this posture, he is revealing to us that there is a need to yield to the Holy Spirit. There's a need to submit or to yield to the Holy Spirit. If we were to go back to William Temple's description here of worship, we would see where he even mentioned this in there where he says, we are to open up our hearts to his love, the surrender of will of his purpose or to his purpose. And so here, William Tyndall, as he describes this, he says, we are as followers of Christ to open up our hearts to the love of God. You know, the reality is probably some of us here today walked in here probably feeling pretty unloved. Some of us walked into this place probably feeling pretty lonely or pretty down because of just circumstance in your life. I can only imagine with a crowd this size, maybe it was some in our first service, I don't know, but there's some that probably came in here and there's just a lack of feeling love in our heart. And so here's what the word of God says. Here's what we are challenged by, to open up our hearts to the love of God because you see, God can feel that that need that we have to be loved more than anything else in this world. But I love what William Tyndall goes on to say. He says, also to surrender to the will of God for his purpose. And so you see that there is a need, if we are gonna be true worshipers of God, to yield to the Holy Spirit, to yield to the God who is greater than us. We're not God, he's God. And we are to yield to that. We are to give in to that. We are to submit to that. And so we see that Jesus says that we are to worship. True worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. And then he says this. He says, in in truth. In other words, he's saying, stand centered on the truth of God's word. Stand uh, centered uh, on, on who God is. He says here, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and what? And in truth. And we know God's word to be the truth 
or the authority of truth in our life. And so he says, stand, worship in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And then he says this in verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so worship, worship is not a place. It's not an event. It's not a service. It's none of those things. Worship is when our hearts yield to the Holy Spirit and we focus on the word of God. I was talking to one of our pastors the other day and he says, he says sometimes I struggle to worship when in music because I just find myself worshiping with my mind. And you know what I would say about that? That's accurate. That's accurate. We worship with our hearts as we sing those songs of praise. We worship with our hearts as we open up to him with a spirit of thankfulness. If I were to ask you this morning, how many of you are thankful for God? I know the answer. We're all thankful, aren't we, uh, to God for who he is. And so we we, we offer up our worship through our thankfulness, but we also are called to worship, I mean, to offer up our worship to God even through the reading of his word, the preaching, the listening of his word, the receiving of his word, we worship God with our minds. And so Jesus offers this incredible lesson on worship. Now, you ready for the good part? Because here's the good part. I, I love this. So, so Jesus offers all this to her. Did, did you notice when we read through the passage earlier how she replied or how she responded to Jesus' instruction on what worship was? So here's what happens. So, so they get into this conversation, and she thinks she knows a thing or two about worship, but Jesus says, well... It's kind of like that, but it's really more like this. And then he begins to describe true worship, and he, he just sort of gives her this, this, this information of truth concerning worship, and he talks about true worshipers, and he says true worshipers will worship with their heart and with their soul and with their mind. And so he lays that out, and immediately, what does she do? Her response to Jesus is to bring up the Messiah, which tells me, as I read through this passage, that her hope was in the one who was to come. Her hope was in the one who had yet not arrived. And as she starts processing what it means to be a true worshiper, even though she was a woman who had a long history with, uh, of mistakes and a past that she probably felt that there was no hope for overcoming in her life, this woman who had just led this life of sin, and she felt as though her life was a life of self-destruction. As Jesus starts talking about true worship, she immediately focuses on the one whom she has hope in. She says there will come a day when the Messiah will arrive. She says that is the Christ. I think it's interesting that we see both of these words. Uh, the Messiah is, it literally means the anointed one or the chosen one, and it comes from the Hebrew. The Greek means exactly the same, but the Greek word is Christ. And so she uses Hebrew, she uses Greek. She's, she's wanting him to know that, that her hope, it lies in the one who is yet to come. And then Jesus says something really remarkable to her, and he really exposes what it's all about. She says here, 
She says, I know that the Messiah is coming. There's her faith right there. She knows that the Messiah is coming. She believes that he is coming, the one who is called the Christ. She came to draw water from the well, and she came face to face with the Messiah, the one in whom she has her hope in. And then this is what Jesus says to her. I who speak to you am him. Boom. Jesus drops the bomb on her. Here's this woman who has entered into this relationship with Jesus and the issue that they're debating or discussing is the issue of worship and she sort of realizes real quickly that Jesus obviously knows a little more about worship than she does and so she sort of surrenders to that and she's, she tries to change the subject. She says, well, my hope is in the Messiah and then Jesus comes to her and he says, you're standing in front of him. You're standing in front of him. And if you know the story, you already know how this story ends because this lady who has now been transformed by the power, the presence of Jesus in her life, she's come to understand and believe that he is the Messiah. Remember how this conversation started out. He is nothing more than a Jew, a dirty dog in her life. He is a Jew who, as she had this conversation, went from Jew to teacher to prophet, and now she's recognizing him as her savior for her sins. And what does she do? She runs into the village, and she screams from the rooftop. She knocks on doors. She taps people on the shoulder. She tells them, come and see the one who knows everything about me. Come and meet the Messiah the one we've been hoping for, the one we've been dreaming about, the one we've been praying for, he's here. A lady who went to get a little bit of water has now discovered the living water. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful story. And it's just so interesting. It's so interesting how Jesus just reveals this to us. I'm going to ask Ben if he'll come on out here. We're going we're gonna to land this plane in just a second. But the question that we may have here this morning as we look at this woman's story and we see this amazing story of, of redemption is what does this have to do with me? Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like I was when I was 18 years old and you know just a few short years ago, Right? Some of you got that. Some of, most of the older ones were like, oh yeah, that's me too, Dave. I'm right there with you. So. Some of you may have walked in here this morning and say, that's her story. What, what does this have to do to me? How does this apply to me? For, well, for starters, we're all worshipers of something, right? You see, we worship that which we find worth in. And for some of us here in this room here today, maybe the worth that we, the, the things that we see is uh, valuable or the things that we see that are worthy of our adoration. Maybe it's our wealth. Maybe it's our finances. Maybe for some of us, it's our relationships. Maybe for some of us, it's our goals, our jobs, our careers. Maybe for some of us, it's our education. But you see, every one of us in this room, including myself, every one of us in this room, we have the potential if we're not careful of placing something above the greatest gift that we've ever received, and that is Christ Jesus.
We have this remarkable potential, and it happens more than we think, where we place everything else above Jesus. So maybe we walked in here this morning, and we weren't really thinking about Jesus. We were thinking more about a church service. Or maybe we weren't really thinking a lot about Jesus. We were wondering more about the things that are going on in our family. Maybe we, were, we walked into this place with such a sense of anxiety because of the circumstances that we face. And something else in our hearts, something else was there other than a focus on Jesus. I love when Jesus tells his disciples to keep your eyes on the author and the perfecter of your faith to stay centered on him because he's the one who is truly worthy. We should never allow anything else to come in our way of our worship to God. So maybe this morning some of us walked in not ready to worship. I'll be honest with you, there's days where I come in and, and it just doesn't, I just don't feel like worship. I mean, uh, maybe it's not even a rotten day. Maybe it's just a, Maybe it's just for whatever reason a cold heart that day. Maybe, the, maybe it's just a, a, a mood I'm in or something. But there are days where I walk into this place and I really have to check my heart. I have to fall on my knees and I have to ask God to come into my life and, and God just remove this from me. Allow the distractions that exist in my life to be replaced by an understanding of, of what worship is and, and the fact, God, that you are worthy of that worship. It happens to all of us. And so maybe this morning, as we walked into this place, we weren't really expecting to encounter Jesus. We weren't really thinking about what might happen today. But we've come to realize that he's standing right in front of us. that he desires more than anything for us to run into his arms, to worship him, to come and enter into his presence. In the Gospel of Mark, there's a very unique story where Jesus calls his disciples. We, we see in this passage something really remarkable. In Mark 3, verses 13 and 14, it tells us this. It says, and he, meaning Jesus, he went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. And he appointed the 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and, might, and that he might send them out to preach. You know what's really amazing about who we are as followers is that we are sometimes so eager to know what it is that God wants us to do. We are so eager to know God's will for our life. We, we use that term. Uh, we want to know the calling that God may have placed on our, our life. In other words, we find it easier to think about what it is that God wants us to do without really considering how worship comes into play with this. But here's what's remarkable about this passage from Mark is that as we read through the passage, we see that oftentimes we get it backwards as believers because what Christ is really calling us to is to come into his presence, to spend time with him before we ever understand truly what it is that we are to do. We want to serve him because that's who we are, 
but we want to often serve him without his presence, without his power, without putting in the effort or the time that is needed to nurture the relationship that we have with Jesus. Look at this real quickly, verse 13. It says, and he went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired. So in this selection of disciples, he didn't just come to him and say, hey, I've got a mission for you. I want you to go out and I want you to accomplish these things. Here's your to-do list. Go and serve me faithfully. He doesn't do that. He goes to those whom he desires to draw near to him. And he says here, he says, come to me. He says, he desired, he called them to come to him. And it says here in verse 13, and they came to him. And it was only after they came into the presence of Jesus that he at some point, after equipping them and showing them their purpose in life, did he send them out to preach the gospel? Did he send them out? to serve him. You see, what Jesus desires more than anything is for us to come before we go. He wants us to come into his presence. He says, come to me, commune with me, come with me, come and spend time with me, come with me and belong to me. Because as you go out into this world and you face everything that this world has in store for you, you're gonna need me before you go out there. You're gonna need me. And so Jesus is inviting us as true worshipers to come into his presence, to come into his presence and be loved, to come into his presence and be known, to come into his presence and feel the presence of God in our life, to come into this real communion with him that we can go out and be good and faithful servants like he has called us to do. But the going is not the big deal, the coming is the big deal, coming into the presence of God, coming into the presence of Jesus.